Let's pray as we come to think about this together. Our Father, we pray again uh, this morning. Uh, Great thanks for your word and pray that as we come to think about it together now that we would hear your words, we would so hear them, read, mark, learn and inwardly digest them that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Saviour Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, that same Saviour Jesus Christ said this. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, The building of Jesus' church is the most significant project happening in the universe today and you get to be part of that. You get to be caught up in the biggest project that the God who made the universe and rules it is working towards, uh, gathering people to himself who will belong to him as his treasured possession for all eternity. God, by his grace, calls us into that most significant project because he himself is a relational God, a gathering God, who is always gathering people to himself. Throughout the Bible, you can hear a refrain of what God says he is building his church for, of what he is building his church towards. Uh, Throughout the Bible, you hear God's great purpose of in salvation um, in God's word saying, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell with them. That's what God's purpose is in salvation. He wants to dwell with his people, gathered to himself. From Genesis, Exodus and Leviticus to Ezekiel, Jeremiah and Zechariah, to Romans, to Corinthians and Revelation. You hear that same refrain throughout the unfolding picture of the Bible. God says, I will dwell with them, they will be my people and I will be with them and be their God. So Revelation 21 verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. What is God's project in the world? What is he working towards? To unite all things under the kingship of Jesus and to gather to himself a people who will belong to him, be his treasured possession and enjoy him forever. It's a people from every tribe and nation and language who belong to his heavenly assembly and we're here this morning because of that reality. We're here this morning in expression of that heavenly eternal gathering around the Lord Jesus because of God's project to gather a people for himself. That's why we're here. We get to to anticipate, to enjoy, to look forward to to express in a very real way this morning the eternal heavenly reality of Jesus' church, the gathering of his people. And over the next five Sundays, including our big all-together day in three weeks' time, we want to consider from the Bible what that means for us to be part of that big program, to be 
part of Jesus' church, to be the real expression of that heavenly gathering here in Petersham, week by week, day by day. Jocelyn likes to remind me about the Sunday back in January when everyone was away and I was basically the only volunteer on a Sunday morning. Do you remember that day? Some of you have blocked it from your memory because it involved me singing. (laughs) Jocelyn reminds me of that to keep me humble. Right? It was the day that church felt very flat and frustrated. And church can be like that sometimes, can't it? If you were here at 8 o'clock, there were six of us. It's very easy to feel insignificant and weak and small and like the gathering of this people on a Sunday is not really that significant at all. And in this series, including this morning, we want to lift our eyes and recalibrate our hearts and our minds to know who we are what God has made us in the Lord Jesus Christ and what we get to be a part of while we wait for that day when we will be gathered to his throne for all eternity. And as we refocus our attention on what it is we have and who we are, I think the outcome for us ought to be verse 28 of Hebrews 12. Knowing that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful is the character of God's church. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire, knowing who God is, worshipping him not only with our lips but with our lives each and every day with thankfulness for what he has made us, what he has included us in by our Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 12, leading up to that verse, the author drives us to that response of thankfulness and lives of worship. He drives us there with this lyrical and passionate account of what it is that we possess if we belong to Jesus' church. Uh, It comes by way of contrast between the gathering of God's people at Mount Sinai and the gathering of God's people in heaven. Right? The gathering at Sinai, we read in verses 18 to 21, was awesome as an encounter with the holiness and the majesty of God. That God's rescued people, beloved by him, brought, gathered to him at Mount Sinai, were nonetheless terrified because of God's awesome holiness and majesty. Trumpet blasts. The voice of God, thousands of angels, burning fire, would be a gathering that you would remember, wouldn't it? To come before the the God of the universe is no small matter and the sinfulness of God's people, beloved as they are, creates distance, creates fear because our God is consuming fire. How wonderful it is then when we see the contrast for God's people saved by Jesus. 
where that distance is removed, where fear is done away with and is replaced with joyful thanksgiving. Let's look at what the author describes of us in these verses from verses 22 to 24. In this lyrical and passionate account, he just strings together seven aspects, seven facets of our identity as Jesus rescued people gathered to belong to his church. Seven things. One, he says, you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to your true home, the place where God will dwell with his people. And we get to express that heavenly reality week by week, whenever we gather, as we long to be gathered to Jesus around the throne of God forever. I remember some years ago getting on a a Qantas flight in LA and stepping from the jetway to the plane and the captain of the plane is standing there and as you get on the flying kangaroo, this Australian captain looks at me and says, welcome home. We're still in LA but I've stepped onto the flying kangaroo and he says, welcome home. Confident in his own ability, I guess, to fly us to Sydney, right? But we have that identity. We might still be here on earth, but Jesus has already welcomed us home, knowing that he will bring us safely there on the last day. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. You've come to to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. It's a contrast, isn't it? The angels were there at Sinai, God's heavenly messengers. But when they were there that day, in the gathering of God's rescued people, they produced fear. Gathered to Mount Zion in the assembly of thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful celebration of God. That is your identity, taking part in the party of heaven. So even if it's just me standing up the front here in a very flat kind of way leading the singing on a Sunday morning, I am comforted by that, Jocelyn, because I know that we are joining our voices with the armies of heaven in singing the praises of Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and wisdom and power and strength forever and ever. We join in that joyful praise and celebration because of our inheritance, because of who who we are and what we have in belonging, number three, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, we're told in Colossians, so that in all things he might have the supremacy. And we belong to his church. And not only that, but we too are firstborn because we share in Christ in his inheritance. That in Christ we will inherit all things. The eternal kingdom of God. And our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know those terrifying moments as a parent where you walk into a room and you see just the lid of a permanent marker. 
and your heart starts racing and your eyes start darting around the room, where is the permanent marker? You're looking at walls and furniture and carpets. And invariably, there's one of your children has written their name in permanent marker, giving themselves away by writing their name on the wall, never to be removed, right? Jesus has written your name in permanent marker in his book of life to belong to his church, the membership role of Jesus' eternal church. He's written your name in permanent marker not because you have some innate ability that will, that will mean that you can contribute in some way that makes you worthy of heaven, that makes you worthy of his church, that makes you worthy to belong to him, but because of his grace, because of his blood shed on the cross, because of what he's done and his unending love for his people, he's written your name in his book of life. A guaranteed inheritance as part of the church of the firstborn. Number four, you've come to God, the judge of all. It seems like that's a negative statement in the midst of six other very positive statements. It's a statement that we need some help with, so this is what Peter O'Brien has written. Peter writes, However, the mention of the coming to a multitude of angels in joyful assembly with its festive associations And the description of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, immediately following the spirits of the righteous made perfect, all of that suggests that this judgment will be positive for those assembled. You come before the judge who holds the world to account, knowing that he has already declared you righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Number five, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It's that hope of being perfected in Jesus, having been declared righteous and then enjoying that perfected relationship for all eternity where there will be no more sickness, where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be no crying or mourning or pain for the old order of things, the order of things that we know too well will have passed away. Number six, you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus, the one who connects us to God and his new commitment, his commitment to his people that's not seen any longer on tablets of stone, but his commitment that is seen on the tablets of our hearts. His commitment to his people that's not purchased through the sacrifice of bulls and goats, but purchased through the sacrifice once and for all time by his perfect son. His commitment that's seen not through the temple system and codes, but his commitment sealed personally on our hearts by his spirit. Because you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the one who guarantees God's commitment towards you, It means that the commitment and the connection that you experience in this gathering of God's people is unlike any other commitment or connection in this world. Whether it be your family, 
your nationality, your gender, your occupation. What we have in this place, in Christ, far outweighs them all. You have come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember that story of Cain and Abel and Cain kills Abel and his blood goes into the ground. In Genesis we read that the blood of Abel cries out. Cries out for what? Cries out for vengeance. Cries out for justice. The blood of Jesus shed at the cross that went into the same ground The blood of Jesus shed for us cries out what? Not vengeance, not forgiveness, it cries out. Not not vengeance, not justice, it cries out forgiveness. It cries out mercy. This is who we are and what we possess as Jesus' church. The greatest project going on in the universe that we're swept up into by God's grace through his son. And we get to give expression to that every week when we gather together even when we're flat and frustrated even when we're weak. We join with myriad upon myriads of angels as part of the church of the firstborn. And the writer to the Hebrews presents all of this to us in order that we might persevere, holding unswervingly to the hope that we've given, the hope of sharing in that gathering in heaven for all eternity, perfected in Jesus, Over the morning tea, you might like to ask Luke Jackson or Adam Wright about a hill called Matthew Flinders Drive. In the uh, Ironman Australia Triathlon there's a, in Port Macquarie, there's a hill on the bike ride that is ridiculously steep. So steep that the organisers of the race put a rubber mat up the hill ready for you to kind of topple off onto or at least walk up, right? And in a very, on a very long and hard day that an Ironman triathlon is, that hill comes at a very difficult moment. And one of the things that makes that hill easier is that it's always lined with people in various costumes who are yelling at you on your bike, Come on! Come on! Come on! And for some who may not otherwise have made it to the finish, it helps them. And for others who would have finished, it helps them still, it keeps them going, it gets them stronger. The writer to the Hebrews presents all of this to us that we might be encouraged to keep going that we might gather as Jesus' church each week to say to one another, come on, keep going.
Look who we are. Look what we've been given. Look what we possess in Christ. Come on. Keep going. Thirteen times in this book, the writer says, let us. Let us encourage one another. Let us persevere. Turn with me back to chapter 10. To chapter 10, verse 19. I call it the Hebrews salad. It's full of all the lettuces. I've been saying that joke for 20 years. I still find it very satisfying. Let's have a look at the Hebrews salad, the lettuces. Verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen.